Good morning. Always good to come to Big Creek. Is there, is this the book that this last song is in? I'll find out pretty quick here. Jesus, I might go. Oh, yeah. How many of you, anybody remember a former pastor by the name of George Major? One? Okay. His, uh, his widow is uh, a member at the church where Alita and I attend when I'm not doing this and uh, mentioned that I was coming out here this morning and she said that uh, her husband was pastor here long time ago. I don't know how long long time ago is but uh, anyway that's uh, I guess neither here nor there. Well, this morning, I thought it would be uh, appropriate to think for a few minutes on the title uh, that I just uh, gave there for that song, I Will Glory in the Cross. Before we do that, we need to go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessing. Father, we thank you for a beautiful Lord's Day. Thank you for your presence with us at all times, your watch care over us, all that you provide for us. We thank you that we have this opportunity to come into your house, to fellowship, with one another and with you and we pray that we will be able to bless you as we worship you this morning we know that you will bless us as we come into your house to worship so give us ears to hear and hearts to understand and we'll be careful always to give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't be blasé. I have written uh, across the top of this message, so I guess that would, would pretty well sum it up. Uh, I will glory in the cross. The word glory I think we usually think of as a noun, something, but it is also appropriately used as a verb. And according to the dictionary, when you use it in that, uh, in that way, it means to rejoice to exalt, to boast. And the Apostle Paul used it that way. He came up with 
with this idea a long time before Dottie Rambo. Dottie wrote that song in about 1975, and I guess uh, Paul wrote Galatians somewhere in the uh, 50s or 60s. He said in Galatians 6.14, May it never be. And I believe the King James says, God forbid. It's a very, very strong uh, terminology here. May it never be that I should boast, Paul says, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, he says. By the way, I didn't mention, but I have quite a few scripture references, and if you're not good at Bible drill and you want to just jot them down and check on me this afternoon and make sure I didn't rest the scriptures this morning by anything I said, that'll be just fine. I won't be, uh, I won't be worried if I see you taking notes. God forbid that I should glory, Paul said, except in the Lord Jesus Christ. The admonition that we hear sometimes, familiarity breeds contempt. I think maybe we have to guard against that a little bit uh, when it comes to the cross because those of us who have been around a little while have studied countless Sunday school lessons about the cross. We've heard countless sermons. We've sung countless songs and we if we aren't careful, can get just a little bit blasé. Something uh, that we don't want to do. Especially when it comes to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Paul said he was certainly going to guard against that. And if you think about the Apostle Paul and uh, what he had going for him, uh, he probably had good reason to be careful not to get too blase about the cross. A few of the things that Paul could have gloried in he was, first and foremost, a Roman. Acts chapter 16, verse 37 and following. Paul said, 
Well, let's back up a couple of verses to get the context. Now, when day came, the chief magistrates sent their policemen, saying, Release those men. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The chief magistrates have sent to release you. Now, therefore, come out and go in peace. And Paul said to them, Not a chance. They have beaten us in public without trial, men who are Romans. That's what I wanted us to get. And have thrown us into prison, and now they're sending us away secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and bring us out. And so as we read on down, we find that the policemen came with fear and trembling and sent them on their way. But uh, Paul, in another place, uh, mentions that uh, he was born a Roman. And the guy he was talking to said, well, I had to buy my citizenship. And Paul said, well, I was born a Roman. So he could have certainly gloried in that, but he didn't. He could have gloried in the fact that he was a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day as the law required. Romans chapter 11, we find the verification, the confirmation of that. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be, for I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. And again in Philippians, Chapter 3, verse 5. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And while we're there, we find another characteristic of Paul that he could have gloried in, and that was the fact that he was one of those folks that Jesus was always getting encounter with, a Pharisee. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. And mentioning the law, that was something else that he could have gloried in. We, we kind of run down the law sometimes because we know that what came after the new covenant was better than the old. I almost preached out of Hebrews this morning about uh, what it says there. The best just got better. Basically, when Jesus came along. But the law was good. The law was not a bad thing. The law was a good thing. It was given by God as the best 
up until that time. Yes, what came after was better, but Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a student of the law, and he could also have uh, gloried in his education because we're told uh, that he was a student of somebody named Gamaliel. Now that really doesn't carry a whole lot of weight with us. He says in chapter 22, verse 3 of Acts, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God. To be a student of Gamaliel in those days was the equivalent to having a law degree from Harvard or Yale or Princeton today. It was a very special thing that Paul could have gloried in had he chosen to do so. He could have gloried in his calling as an apostle. All the other 12 had special circumstances surrounding their calling, but nothing like Paul's Damascus Road experience. Reading just a few verses of that, you are familiar with the story. I know Acts chapter 9, we find it, verse 3 and following came about that as he journeyed, he was approaching Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And the story goes on then, of course, about how Paul came to, uh, to be an apostle with this very unique and special calling. Paul had something that we kind of overlook sometimes, I think. Uh, he had some rather impressive healing gifts. Acts chapter 19 verse 11 and 12, God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul, so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. So I believe this is about the only other uh, individual except for Jesus who didn't have to be there to get the miracle uh, of healing accomplished. All they had to do was to take a, a prayer cloth of some sort, have it in contact with Paul's body, carry it to whomever was in need, and 
healing occurred. Healing happened. So, Paul had a lot of things that he could have gloried in besides the cross. But he said, again, God forbid that I should glory in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what's so special about the cross then? We know we put it in our sanctuaries. Sometimes we put it on our steeples. We wear it around our neck or keep one in our pocket. But we have to be careful that we do not let familiarity breed contempt when it comes to the cross. Why glory in the cross? Well, I've mentioned one, two, three, four, five, six, eight, ten, about twelve things uh, that we can uh, glory in the cross with or about this morning, and that's not an exhaustive list. It's not a complete list. First of all, it demonstrates God's judgment on sin because we see and hear so much of it, we kind of have to be careful we don't get blasé about sin. We have to remind ourselves how God felt about sin. God was concerned enough about it that he sent his own son to die on that cross. That's a demonstration of God's judgment on sin that also shows God's love for the sinner. It is the only way to salvation. John 14, 6, you all know that verse. You may not know it by a chapter and verse, but you know it. It's the one where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty, pretty clear, pretty conclusive. Acts 4.12 echoes that there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's the only way. We Christians get criticized a lot by non-believers as being narrow-minded, bigoted, we say there's only one way. No, we didn't say it. Jesus said it. If you have a problem with it, take it up with him. We're just repeating what Jesus said. It gives a new dynamic to life. Second Corinthians 
chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, new things have come. A new dynamic to life. It also guarantees a future life. First John chapter 5 verse 11. And the witness is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's the first step to defeat death. It was the first step to defeat death. We celebrate the resurrection as well we should, but before you can have a resurrection, you've got to have a crucifixion. It is a marvelous symbol of forgiveness. What happened on the cross, God was able to be just and the justifier of those who sinned because he was reconciling mankind to himself. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. Now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In, by abolishing I skipped a verse. For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances that in himself he might make the two into one new man thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross. It brings peace with God. Reading again, this time from Colossians chapter 1. Verse 19 and 20. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, that's in Christ, and through Him 
to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace, how? Through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, all the same, made peace by the cross. Believing that this may be one of the more difficult aspects of the Christian life. Uh, you know, it's easy to become a Christian, but it's not easy to be one after you've become one. We have some rather stringent requirements, uh, just first commandment. I mean, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. How many of us can honestly say we do that? And if we do, then what's the next one? Look next door. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then we've got to be salt and light and all these things. It's, it's a tough go. But Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh, for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And he goes on to talk about the deeds of the flesh. But the point is, we can have victory over the flesh through what happened on the cross. Lastly, two things, additional things about the cross. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever. The work of the cross is eternal. We go on over a couple of chapters in chapter 9, verse 12. Not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. The work of the cross is eternal. It is everlasting and fortunately we can sing the old hymn I don't know if you all sing it here or not whosoever will may come Ephesians chapter 4 verse 5 
There is one body, one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. It is universal. The way of the cross leads home, regardless of who we might be, what race, what religion, what whatever we might be, whoever we might be, same cross, same blood, works for everybody, one and only one. So don't be so familiar with the cross that it loses its meaning. Glory in it. As I said a moment ago, I say again, you can't have the resurrection without the crucifixion. And you can't have the crucifixion without the cross. So this morning, let's resolve to say, as Paul said, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs>